Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I am Henry. I'm Chris, and we have Megan with us full time. Hey, Megan. Hello. On and out. Okay, Megan, right, I, this is the first one that you've joined us on the um, Zoom uh, so we can see you for the whole yeah. episode. What did you think of that intro? Um, yeah, the voice always throws me off a little bit too, just because she's, I mean, she's like an eighties, like commercial voice. She like is. she, she hits it, but it's a little, when you're not expecting it sometimes. <laughs> she did. She nailed that. Henry, I don't think we talked about that since the first episode, but she, we tried to get, we asked them to have somebody that sounded like they were on the night flight program. I don't oh know if you yeah. Ever that's saw perfect. Night yeah. She yeah. nailed it. She nailed it. So we were happy with that. Okay, so yeah. this is a special episode. Henry, why is it a special episode? So this is a classic album show. We uh, periodically through the year, we've picked like four of these to review, to make a whole, blow a whole show out discussing just one album. The first one we did was The Message for Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And this uh, record is Nebraska. Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, yes. Yeah, I think it's a record, Henry, we're, we're probably all three a little more familiar with than the message, I would think, going into it. At least, I know yes. I was. It shocked me at first, I guess right off the bat, it shocked me that it came out in 1982 at first glance. I felt like it was later in the 80s. Yeah, I always thought for some reason that it was after Born in the USA. Me too. Like, I thought it really? kind of like a palate cleanser. But I, no, I, it was like well before that. I totally agree. And I think maybe it's just because I got to it after Born in the USA. So Yeah. I don't think this was a huge record. Like I don't know what the numbers were on it in terms it, of sales. So what I read was that it made it to number three on the Billboard 200. Especially at that time, like yeah. early to mid-80s <clears throat> Springsteen. Like one of the top artists of the decade, I would say. I, yeah, and I would say Born in the USA is like one of the top five big records of the eighties. So yeah, he was everywhere, which is kind of why Henry at the time, I really was not a big Bruce Springsteen fan. I was already starting to go into my, if it's not English, it sucks kind of phase. Yeah. And he was, yeah, yeah, he was so American to me. And so like uh, reminiscent in my mind with the E street band of like uh, late fifties, early sixties music, which I know there's some of that there, but it's not, that's unfair. I'm really, really sad about you saying that. I know, I, I know. I think that there are a lot of people who feel that way. And it's really mm-hmm. unfortunate because Bruce Springsteen's such a good artist, like lyrically amazing, like just very talented. And I feel like he does kind of just get people dismiss him sometimes for being the cheesy, like born in the USA guy, you know, people just kind of take it at face value. And I don't think that that's fair. I mean, obviously he has a ton of fans, so he's fine, but still it's kind of, it is frustrating sometimes, especially from my standpoint as a younger person, like people in my generation don't give a fuck about Bruce Springsteen. All right. So I had a question here that I wanted to ask you that I have a fucking page full of just 
thoughts from the dome that I'm going to try to bring into our conversation, right? Sure. Why do you think, and is this true, first of all, is Springsteen's perspective, his sort of singular perspective, has it been lost in popular music today? Like, I'm talking like romantic portrayals of, of the Rust Belt and the working class and that stuff. I know that you have bands like the Hold Steady that mm-hmm. would probably that would probably claim that. I think you'd have bands like Arcade Fire that would probably definitely claim something of that. I just feel you, like you see where I'm going. Like I don't know that anybody really represents that today. No, for- and it's kind of sad. I mean, I'm not saying that maybe maybe there is an artist out there. There probably are artists out there that have at least inspiration from Bruce Springsteen. But I think that the thing that makes Springsteen unique is that he has these romanticized versions, like these American stories, but they're also Mm -hmm. very like sad and very, you know, truthful and honest. And so it's just weird to me when people are like, Oh, he's so patriotic. It's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, he is because he's being, he's being real about it. In the Howard Howard Zinn kind of way. Yeah, not in the Toby Keith kind of way. Right, exactly. So I just don't understand, like, sometimes the way people critique him. They've never even listened to albums like Nebraska. So it's like, I wish people before they made those judgments would at least give it a shot. Because this record's really good. I mean, it's sad, but... So so this is the record that came right, that was out right before Born in the USA. Mm -hmm. Born in the USA is the record any listener of this show knows about. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the definitive sound in their minds, which which has some of these kind of, I guess you might call it, I think the cheesy keyboard stuff. I think that Yeah, it was poppier, definitely. Yeah. Like they Especially them compared to, to this record. Like this yeah. record being right before, like that's crazy to go from Nebraska to Borneo. His stuff, weirdly, is about was about freedom, and even this one, in its twisted kind of way, twisted way, is about freedom. Yeah, because it's what true. Like freedom has sad stories sometimes. Like freedom, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not always what people envision, especially when they think of America, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, Alpine, freedom. Like yeah, freedom shit. doesn't always like, mean joy. Yeah, it's it doesn't. A, no, really, <laughs> you know? very, very rarely, I would say, you know, so, there's a, some joy, but. I think that the people need to. So basically what makes this record special to listeners, really, is that the whole album was done primarily on January the 3rd, 1982, 
right? Recorded the demo on a Tascam four track, right? I was gonna say, didn't he do it really bare bones? Yeah. Like Chris, do you remember the Tascam Porta studios that we used to play with? Sure. Back in the day? Sure. I mean, it's basically the uh, the first iteration, like the uh, a previous iteration, like three back. He did the whole record on that. Yeah, he did. And he, then he ran it through an Echoplex, which gave it that reverby um, sound, which I think for me is what sets it apart. Um, because it, it it almost takes it into like a dreamlike state. It's got this mm-hmm. weird um, hazy feel to it. Um, for me, um, where my starting point was was where I said at the beginning. But then I had an older brother who was like, "You need to hear the cool Bruce Springsteen record," mm-hmm. which I'd never. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, "Okay." And then this one blew me away. Um, it it had that that dreamy quality, but also I'd never really been a lyrics guy up until that point. And this this album tells stories. And I guess the stories really appealed to me at the time too, because they're like murder ballads at the beginning. So then I'm, I'm interested more than just the, I'm like, I didn't think Bruce Springsteen, the guy that sang, you know, born in the USA is doing murder ballads. This is fucking awesome. Um, it, it kind of reminds me, um, it's almost David Lynchian to me. Like it's, yes, it has like a ghost, mm-hmm, like a ghost, a ghost yes. kind of feel like right. you're listening to stories from these years that have gone yeah. by. Right. And so really cool. Yeah. Like, for me, it changed my whole perspective on Springsteen, and it also changed my perspective on. I had heard some of this, a, a lot of the, what I had heard about Springsteen before, as this point as well was this comparison to the, he's the new Dylan. And to mm-hmm. me, Dylan was always hard to find a way in because his lyrics are so much more vague to me. Like they're not upfront. Mm-hmm. What I love about Bruce is he's telling, like at least on Nebraska, he's telling straight ahead stories, like. To me, it was like, oh, he's for the common guy like me. I can understand right off the bat what he's singing about. But man, it was so cool. That, and I didn't know it at the time, but this adding of this echo sound, this reverby sound, I think changed it from just being a folk album into this really great thing. I saw her standing on her front lawn Just a twirling her baton Me and her went for and ten people died from a town of Lincoln, Nebraska with a sawed off fourteen did you guys read um, Springsteen's autobiography? I did read the memoir f- just for this part. Well, it's really good because he talks about actually like, you know, Dylan was a big inspiration for him. I mean, Dylan was so huge. He was just, in, he hit at the perfect time you know, in the 1960s. Um, so I can see like why a lot of artists and Bruce Springsteen's age group were very inspired by Dylan. But I think yeah. Dylan purposely, he always seems very detached, you know, like not connected, like even at concerts, like I've seen Dylan before and he just mm-hmm. walks out on stage and doesn't say anything to anybody, like doesn't mm-hmm. say hi, but like Springsteen is more personable and I feel like more open and definitely like you said. Like, it's totally so uh, yeah, I watched videos of this guy prepping for the, for my talk with you, and I could not believe he was in his thirties. 
I mean, the guy threw himself at the music like oh, totally. There's hundred percent commitment more like, than any punk guy I've ever seen in my life. One of the reasons he even started making music was because it was the only time that made him feel good, and you can, can tell. See, yeah, it was self medication. And so here, here what happens with Nebraska is he falls into a depressive period. He's thirty two years old, which puts him about it puts him about ten years older than. Robert Smith was at the time. Mm-hmm. So Robert Smith did pornography, his depression record. And, and this is Springsteen's depression album at age um, uh, 32 in the same year, both two different ages. Um, but one, you know, Chris would have said, hey, the Robert Smith record sounds like a 23-year-old person wrote it. I can't mm-hmm. put myself in anymore. This record, I can understand and feel probably because he's a little older. It's also it's also neat because like what you're saying too. Now looking back, and um, again, I'm different now than I was at in the '80s. I, I pretty much like all of his catalog, but it is kind of like a palate cleanser because mm-hmm. it's almost like the difference between the river and Born in the USA is Nebraska. The river it is like the E Street Band getting sadder, and then Nebraska he cleans it all out, and then bam, they just hit you with this. 80s pop masterpiece. See, yeah, so in my mind, I feel like he had a meeting and said, okay, all right, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'll give you a record that will sell 15 million copies, but to get it, you're going to have to put out this record that I put out on a four track. And, you know, I wish it was that calculated, but looking into it. <laughs> well, was this even like an E Street Band record? It was supposed to be. So here's the thing. Okay, because so, I was like, isn't this a Springsteen solo record? It is. Technically? But so the legend of this problem. is he, he, did yeah. the, he did the demos specifically for the next album with the band. And he gave yeah. the demos to his manager and said, I don't know what to do with these yet. I think they're for the band, but they kind of don't sound like they're working for me. Um, Not a lot of room for yeah. saxophone on Nebraska. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing is they gave it a shot, uh, the Electric Nebraska Sessions. So researching this, I was kind of like, I, I can almost hear it with the East. I'd almost like to hear what it would sound like full on. Oh, I bet it's not it's bad. It's the, first, the yeah. first bit. Okay, so if you, Atlantic City, maybe. Yeah. Like, right. That song is the standout, probably could have been a rock track. Down on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble busting in from out of state, and the DA can't get no relief. Gonna be a rumble out on the promenade, and the gambling commission's hanging on by the skin of its teeth. Well, now everything dies, baby. Maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Well, I got a job and tried to put my money away, but I got. It's the, it's the unique way that he approaches the subject, mm-hmm. the subjects on this. He sets up a world really where like it catches us by surprise, right? It, 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 when it's laid out before us, the decisions that the character makes seems obvious when we're in it, like we're, we're in the song. But if we're outside of it, 
you know, if, if we were to just lay it out dispassionately, it wouldn't make any sense. And the weird, it's just the way he puts words together. You totally understand where that person, the perspective of that person, not only the song Nebraska, but in all of the, all of these songs, he adopts the, 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 the situational thing of the character inside the song. My little sister's in the front seat with an ice cream cone. My mom's in the back seat sitting all alone. My pa steers her slow out of life for a test drive down Michigan Avenue. Now my mom's your fingers. Her wedding band and watches the salesman stare at my old man's hand. He's telling us all about the break he'd give us if he could, but he just can't. But if I could, I swear I'd know just what I'd do. Now, Mr. Day, the lottery I win, I ain't ever gonna ride no used car again. Now, the neighbors come from near and far as we pull up in our brand new used car. This, I think, might be a good point just to give a few nuts and bolts for people that don't know. This is the sixth studio album, and I put studio in quotes because, again, it was done on a four-track yeah. machine. All instruments on the album he played himself. It's currently on the... I don't know if you guys knew this, but Rolling Stone has redone their 500 greatest albums of all time list to include... I heard they did that. Yeah, but. so it moved up. It went. It's now at number 150. On the old list, it was number 224 of the greatest albums of all time. It got a 10 out of 10 on Pitchfork. Um, when they went back and re-reviewed it. And of course, that's shocking. I know, right? It's an all music five-star album. It was interesting that the angle that Pitchfork took, which I hadn't thought about until they took it, um, was that this album kind of heralds the coming of people going back in the, in the early 2000, late nineties, the DIY four tracking and very much. So yeah, yeah, really, like, yeah, bedroom music and, you know, doing music without going to a studio, which I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of at the time. So I think that that was the angle they kind of went in on and how great it was for that reason. Yeah. I kept thinking about Sebado probably love this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, even um, Paul Westerberg is very, right. like, I think now when he records stuff, it's always like in the basement. And what did you guys think about that Johnny 99 song? So that one's my least favorite uh, song yeah. on the tra- uh, on the yeah. album. But again, I think it's neat because he never meant for this to be an album. So it, you know what I mean? Like he, he probably put down a couple demos that he were like, "This might not make it," but I'm putting all the demos I, down. You know, that, I liked it a lot. I don't know. Why. I like I because I think that you need a little bit of an upbeat song. You know what I mean? And that's I thought it was I thought it was scary. Well, I mean, but the sound of it—it's yeah. a little—it's a little—it's got kind of like a bounce. Yeah, it's to it. definitely got yeah. more of a. Yeah, more. I liked it a lot, and I thought that it was—it broke up the record well because, like, there there was a point, like, when I'm listening to this record, sometimes depending on the mood that I'm in, like, it can be a little too dark sometimes. Which, again, that's weird to say about a Bruce Springsteen record, but. 
it is kind of sad. And like, if I'm in a super sad mood, it's like maybe not Nebraska tonight. course there was a movie made um from the highway patrolman song i didn't know if you guys knew that uh there's when a, was it the sean penn movie it? yeah it's a sean penn vigo yeah, Mortensen yeah. movie that i'd seen the whole movie and didn't know it came from a bruce springsteen song but it comes directly from uh highway patrolman which wow think about what kind of impact if you wrote a song and sean penn was like fuck that that's my movie i'm gonna make a movie about that it's great. and the thing about that highway patrolman thing is it's full of like just fake shit like stuff that he made up you know right um and 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 things that could not have happened in the real world i wrote some of them down like i must have gone a hundred through michigan county there ain't no michigan county a man turns his back on his family he ain't no good presumably uh it's ohio when he said i seen a buick with ohio plates and behind the wheel was frank uh he and he was going into canada Ohio and Canada are separated by Lake Erie. But it sounds believable. But it sounds cool. It's, and that's the great. And there's another in the same song when the guy would, was was playing with, uh, with, was imagining him and Frank and the woman Marie that he married. Dancing. Uh, dancing together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they were, they were listening to an imaginary song that nobody can find existed at the time called night of the Johnstown flood that mm-hmm. somebody's written it now, like a band in the back and yeah. wrote the song that Bruce refers to. Isn't that to crazy? I know. I know. But, it, but it all makes sense in like a Lynchian, like in, in, right. the, in the Bruce right. Springsteen world that he's created. Like this sounds like the mid, the Midwestern nightmare that he created. Well, Cause it sounds so like, it just, it's very believable, nondescript names, yeah. like very just normal life shit. And so right. you don't expect that it's not made up. And that's why when you find out that it's made up, it's like, oh, like that makes it even more interesting because he made you believe that it was real. My name is Joe Robert. I work for the state. I'm a sergeant out of Burnville, barracks number eight. I always done an honest job, as honest as I could. I got a brother named Frankie, and Frankie ain't no good. Now ever since we was young kids It's been the same come down 
I get a call on the short week Frankie's in trouble downtown Well, if it was any other man I'd put him straight away But when it's your brother Sometimes you look the other way Yeah, me and Frankie laughing and drinking Nothing feels better than blood on blood Taking turns dancing with Maria As a band played night of the Johnstown flood I catch him when he's This album transcends his whole stereotype of he's so Jersey Northwestern or Northeastern, like upper. And it's like this, he nails the Midwest, you know, like to me, that's. Mm -hmm. I view him as being Midwest. Right, right. Yeah. He's being from somebody from the Midwest. Like, I yeah, it's like, like I do. I don't see him as a Jersey guy. It's like he's it's so out weird. Indianaing Mellencamp on. He's like beating him at his own game. Totally. It, yeah, it's really great. Did um, you guys see a similarity in this? And it's hard for me to say this because I don't. It's not like I'm seeing chicken and egg. But when I listen to it, I can't help but re- think of John Prine somehow. Because yeah, that's fair. Prine had this way where he would write. Uh, songs with simple chord structures like with Nebraska is a lot of this is three chords you know three or four chords I knew a girl who was almost a lady she had a way with all the men in her life every inch of her blossom and beauty She was born on the 4th of July Well, she lived in an aluminum house trailer And she worked in a jukebox saloon And she spent all the money that I give her Just to see the old man in I used to sleep at the foot of old glory And awake in the dawn's early light But much to my surprise when I opened my eyes I was a victim of the great compromise When you can tell it's somebody alone, like in their basement or so, you know, it just sounds like a normal guy, like singing some of these songs, but it's Bruce Springsteen. But that, that makes it cool. And the pitchfork thing that makes that make even more sense. And I guess I haven't really looked at it from that angle before either. So I, I did read an interview where he was talking too about his process and, and I think I'd seen, um, a documentary about Born to Run where he said up until this point his process was always to write in the studio and it was so inefficient because he would, you know, write while they were all trying Expensive. to work. Yeah, and they would go in and he would write and he would get something and then it would take a month to try to record it and then they'd go home and then they'd do it again. And so he's like, Well, this he's time, notorious for being a perfectionist sure. too. So this time he was like, I'm going to actually demo stuff before 
And it's weird how that change of process probably brought this about as much as a conscious decision on his part. Just making himself, like you said, Megan, like sit in a basement with a four-track recorder as opposed to having all the guys around in the studio um, mm-hmm. changed the whole process as much. I like to think of it um, more in that as like a happy accident than I like to think of it as like a very um, calculated move on his part, if you know what I mean. Well, it doesn't problem, sound like it was calculated. No. It does like, Yeah. I can't find anybody speaking otherwise. In fact... I mean, Megan, correct me if I'm wrong, from what I heard about the biography, mm-hmm. this is very, this is like glossed over a lot. Like it, it wasn't really dwelled on a lot. Am I right? No, like I wouldn't say there really wasn't like, it was more about his life, you know, like it's mm-hmm. more like obviously the music is a part of that, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like he wasn't going like album by album, like the experiences necessarily tied to that specific album. Like a lot of it was just about like his personal life and how he like struggled with depression a lot, Mm. which I never knew. Cause it's like, you just don't expect people like Bruce Springsteen to be depressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause it's like, you're so talented and you've done so well, like you found so much success, but he's still a normal person in that regard. So it's a long yeah. book, but it was, it was a good read. So he did witness, he did have, he was abused by his dad from what I understand, right? Um, I think it was more, um, I don't recall any specific like horrendous physical abuse, but I think his dad was a a dad of that time, like very emotionally unavailable, like very detached and mean. Like, I don't think that that was probably very uh, uncommon in those days. The the one, my father's house, right? Mm -hmm. Where he's basically... He sets up this imaginary thing where he his father's place is a house of is a place of refuge, right? And he didn't come from money. I, I felt like this is his 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 trying to to uh, reconcile the broken relationship that he had. Is that I read something where he said he he loved me, but he couldn't stand me. Yeah, you know? they didn't and have we, a very good relationship. They, they would call him. He called him an outcast, weirdo, misfit, sissy boy. You know. It, I, it, it's the saddest song, of course, that resonates with me. Is like when, when he, in the song when he finally makes his way out to the dad. The dad doesn't live there anymore, you know. So it's more desolation and hurt and wounding in there. But I ran till I fell, shaking in his arms. I woke and I imagined the hard things that pulled us apart will never again, sir, tear us from each other's hearts. I got dressed into that house I did ride. From out on the road, I could see its windows shining in light. I walked up the steps and stood on the porch. A woman I didn't recognize came and spoke 
to me through a chain door. I told her my story and who I'd come for. She said, I'm sorry, son, but no one by that name lives here anymore. But weirdly enough, like at the end of the album, there's this song called Reason to Believe. And I feel like that seems like some sort of Midwestern song to get out of the tunnel. Like, I feel like he was saying, oh boy, I got to, I got to do something kind of thin. I need to give us a, a path back to back to happy, you know. And that's another big Springsteen theme throughout his career is hope. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's something that especially, oh my God, like in times that we've been in like 2020, like stuff mm-hmm. like that, like it is after every, like all this depressing shit that happens, it's just nice to feel that sense of hope. And that's something that I really appreciate about Springsteen is he, he doesn't leave you down on the ground. Like he kind of tries to lift you up a little bit. Some people probably find that cheesy, but um, I think that's good. Can a man stand over dead dog by the highway in the ditch? He's looking down kind of puzzled, walking that dog with a stick. Got his car door flung open, he's standing out on Highway 31. Like if you stood there long enough, that dog get up and run. Kind of funny, some kind of funny suddenly. Still at the end of every hard day, people find some reason to believe. Let's switch gears a little bit here, guys, and let's let's go around and uh, talk about our personal favorite song from the album and why. My favorite is uh, "Mansion on the Hill," surprisingly. Um, really? And, and yeah, and I think I think the reason is it resonates so well to me now because it's really about the haves and the have-nots. And mm. uh the, the part about that song that I that I love is he never specifically blames the character never says anything uh openly bad about the people at the mansion on the hill. Um <laughs> but it's obvious from the situation that everyone else in the town um works at the broke down factory and has nothing except for the folks that probably own the factory up on top of the hill. But it's so, um, it's so subtle. Um, Cause I think a lot of people, it's one of those songs you might listen to and just be like, you don't even hear that in it unless you're really listening to it deeply. But I think it so resonates today with the, with, you know, oh the haves God, and the have So much so. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, of course, when I was younger, I'm, first listen i always like state trooper but of course that was i had an end with the cowboy junkie song but going back to it this time i really i really enjoyed mansion on the hill there's a place out on the edge of town sir, rising above the factories and the fields i have since i was a child I can remember that mansion on the hill. 
Mostly because it's like uh, I, I like that he, it's a whole story arc, you know. I'll, I'll, I think that I like the way he changes his English to match the imagined vernacular of, of that guy, mm-hmm. um, and 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 imputes that with the, the a, a certain set of values that he probably knows exists with people that live there, uh, and the compromises that people make, and the the strange decisions, the weird conflicted things that that people go through, you know, he let Frank go because, um, a man turns his back on his family. He ain't no good. You know? And, um, I, I, I just like, I felt like it's this fully, uh, formed fantasy arc, fantasy narrative. That was just like perfect. You know, What I love about that song in particular, like you mentioned, like these different kind of moral, And Mm -hmm. I think that people really, really would love to be able to put bad and good in clearly defined boxes. Yes. Yes. But like that is not the way life is. And like nobody, like everybody has bad qualities and bad things that they've done along with good things that they've done. And for some reason, people don't like that. Like, I don't know, but it's so... Yeah, yeah, like the idea... They don't like the truth, I guess. Well, I mean, in line with what you said before we went live, like on the mic, you know, like... There are things there. People are a mixture of of different things. They're they're not all good and all bad. Mm-hmm. And that's like this is. I have to pick two favorite songs off this record because I can't pick just one. Because Highway Patrolman is one of them. Because like you said, I mean, it's just such a good story. Yeah. Like the way it formed adds to the effect of it. And I love I, anything where it kind of like twists people's perspectives on good and bad. I love stuff like that just because mm-hmm. it's such like, that's real life shit. And I yeah. like that. And then Atlantic city, I think, because I mean, we've talked about it already, yeah. but like that song, it's just great. It's very sad, but also inspirational sounding. Like it just kind of gets you pumped. You yeah. know, it's very quiet. It's yeah. This even, is really though, like, even though like state trooper makes me want to do something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes it's me kind of dark. S- it's the dark it, underbelly. It makes me want to go do something bad. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a really great line in it. It goes, maybe you've got a kid. Maybe you've got a pretty wife. The only thing I got has been bothering me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, just, that cuts deep. You just know that the, the shit, whatever happens to this guy, you know, if he gets uh, stopped by the cops, some shit's going to pop off. Mm-hmm. Like for and that me. happens every day, <laughs> yeah. probably. Like it's, all of it's very resonant, even though this came out in 1982. It's all very like I think it's important messages for today, mm-hmm. which is nuts because it's been a long time ago. Like, but it's still very relevant, and I think that that not a lot of people can say that, especially a lot of records that we've listened to recently. Right. <laughs> Where it's mm-hmm. like, Jesus Christ, like this has not held up well, but this mm-hmm. record, it's timeless. 
I, um, Henry, on uh, Highway Patrolman, I'm going to make an analogy for you. Why? Listening to it, I thought Henry's going to love this song because, <laughs> stick with me here. Um, there is a movie called The Three Burials of Melchiatus Estrada. I don't know. It's It was an indie film in 05, but it had a... It had Dwight Yoakam in it as a sheriff. Oh. And I am so convinced that he based his character off of the sheriff in Highway Patrol. Really? Because he's got that exact right, like, he has a moral code, but he's also kind of exasperated and knows the futility of what he's doing. But he's yeah. trying to hold on to something. Um, and I know Henry loves Dwight Yoakam when he acts because it's one of, I love it. it's Play, one of his right? favorite characters. Oh, love it. Um, also, I, I, the interesting part about um, uh, State Trooper is I, I agree with you guys. I can hear the, like, if you stop him, he's going to pop off. Out where the great black rivers pull License registration I ain't got none But I got a clear conscience About the things that I have Mr. State Trooper Please don't stop me I came to it backwards again from the Cowboy Junkies cover. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, of it. me too. So I'd me heard too. deep dive. I listened to that a lot more before I'd heard the Nebraska version, um, and it's even slower and more dirgy.
lot, and I think that's why there's a lot of bands that cover songs from this album. He wrote songs that could be interpreted 20, 30 different ways, which is like, to me... Which is amazing. Uh, yeah, a mark of a master songwriter. It's not just his well, Especially when there's, like you guys have mentioned, like some of these songs have very specific stories. Right. Like, mm-hmm. right. you know, and like you hear the whole story, but the fact that just the way that you sing it or the way that you perform it can totally change the message. Exactly. Johnny Cash did two of them. Right. Yeah. He did two off this album. Um, I know that... Uh, it's been covered, songs from this album have been covered by everybody from Los Lobos to Sunvolt, Amy Mann, Cowboy Junkies, Emmylou Harris, Henry mentioned the band, Steve Earle. Also, one of Henry's favorites uh, did a cover. I haven't heard that yet, but Billy Bragg covered uh, really? a song off this record. Yeah, so. I love Billy Bragg. I didn't know that you loved Billy Bragg. Love him. Love him. Yeah, I think he's awesome. Did you guys ever, did you guys hear that, you know, every time I was, Reading about this album, I kept hearing about Badlands. Well, isn't Nebraska the song? Isn't that based on? Is that based on the? Was it Charles Starkweather? It is. You're right. The yes. teenage couple. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought when you said Badlands. It made me think of the movie Badlands. The movie Badlands, right? Did y'all watch that? I haven't seen it. I want to watch it because it looks like it's a beautiful movie. It is great. It is an amazing movie. Is it Sissy Spacek? Sissy Spacek and um. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, yeah. And Martin Sheen is really young in it, and he is great in it. He does a good crazy. Right. That's that's Terrence Malick, right? Yeah, it's a Terrence Malick film. so It's It's an actual good Terrence Malick movie. Yeah, it feels a lot like uh, my favorite Terrence Malick, uh, The the Thin Red Line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm making a point to watch that. Because I've been meaning to watch Badlands because I've heard people talk and I have a big TV for the first time in my life so I can watch things and enjoy just the way it looks. Right. So I think that that movie would look beautiful. Supposedly he took that imagery of a girl doing a baton or something. Yep. From, directly from that movie. Right. Interesting. So y'all, do y'all know why they call him the boss? Um, I think it's mentioned in the book, but it wasn't anything. I think didn't the E Street Band guys just call him that? Like, Allow me to tell you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I knew. Yeah, to, I knew not. To, I knew not to say anything because Henry was going to tell me. Yeah. He has a, had a habit of taking collecting the money, like when he was playing at the bars and stuff, and distributing it evenly out to the bandmates. So he's like the boss, get to paying everybody. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Peter Hook, he wrote a couple, well, a few books actually. And yeah. his book um, about the Joy Division years, he talks about how he was in some like used clothing or vintage clothing shop, whatever. And there was this yeah. person in front of him in line buying these like beat up cowboy boots. And he was kind of like trying to haggle with the store clerk about the price and everything. And then the guy turns around and it's Bruce Springsteen and Peter Hook was just like, I can't believe this guy who's so rich was like haggling over the price of these used boots. It's like that totally, I mean, he just doesn't seem like a really grand living guy. Like I'm sure he has nice stuff, but like, you know, like paying the band and everything. Like he seems like maybe he was kind of a stickler. Yeah. And I wanted to mention, um, I did want to mention the album, The Ghost of Tom Joad. Good, yeah, that's Which, a good mention, especially because it's similar. I would yeah. say to this record, and I think I think I read, and I this this may not be definitive because I I glanced at it, but it, he it, he said that was his attempt to try to recreate the same kind of magic as Nebraska, and it and that's what convinced him that Nebraska was kind of like 
a one-off thing that he didn't think about it. Yeah. He, he thought he thought yeah. too much about the ghost of Tom Joad. Try, like, that's prob- trying to that's- recreate doesn't work, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying make- that's a bad album. I'm just saying I don't think it's as good as Nebraska. Yeah, it's funny how Bruce Springsteen, when he talks about like like being critical of some of his work, and it just makes me look at myself, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Right. Like he's like saying like the Ghost of Tom Joad, which is a great record, not as great as Nebraska, right? But it's just crazy to hear Bruce Springsteen be like, meh, like kind of dismiss yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like it'd be like Prince saying, yeah, Sign of the Times is great, but. Yeah, Purple Rain was eh, okay. You know, yeah, like, okay, like, what? Well, what have I done with yeah. my life? Nothing compared to that. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I, I I get it too, but I can kind of see where he's coming from because I I do think Nebraska is a better record, and it it maybe it maybe that is the difference. It maybe the Ghost of Tom Jones seems a little forced because he's like, I want to try that again. I want to do that again. Well, and I think what you guys mentioned earlier about the timing of Nebraska is what makes it so perfect mm-hmm. too. And I don't mm-hmm. think you can re- recreate that. Like that's just the time that you're in, you're between the river and born right. in the USA hasn't come out yet, you know? So like the fact that it happened then, like, I don't think you can recreate that. No. Like, like you said, he tried, but I don't after that's after born in the USA there, with Bruce Springsteen, there's pre born in the USA and there's post born. Right. In the USA. Right. And you, ha- and you're, and you nailed it because honestly that album is so post born in the USA, no matter how much he tries to be a common man, he's a, he, he couldn't walk out of his house without people recognizing him. He's yeah. super rich, whether he wants to be or not. It's a different, yeah. where's the Levi's. And yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's yeah. hard to get into that same mind space that you were in before you were like that, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I can see where that was a difficult thing for him to do. I'm looking forward to, we're probably not going to do a full episode on it, but I'm looking forward to talking about Tunnel of Love because I think mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite. Bruce Mine, I, I like eras. it as well. Yes, I like that one. And that one just gets forgotten all the time, like more yeah. so than I would say Nebraska. Honestly, like, I kind of f- feel like that's kind of why I like it because I, I felt yeah. like it didn't get, it It got, what are you going to do after Born in the U.S.? I'm like, it's got, It's not going to be as big, right? There's no way. It, ma- so. it makes me want to listen to the other stuff past this for for bits that might have been lost by the arrangement or, or under that sheen of the E Street, <clears throat> I might have lost, you know, just in the mm-hmm. song or whatever. Right. Because after taking a deep look at this, I, I realized, yes, the man is um, not he's incredibly talented. Um, Dylan, on par with Bob Dylan or anybody else. Well, and yeah. yeah probably I, one of the best songwriters and yeah. American songwriters. Oh, I think so. And I, I even before this, I think just with Born to Run, I mean, and uh, Born in the USA, you, you could say he's one of the best. But this cements it because it's, it's so different, but it's. It's like he can do anything. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like he could do it. He could do any kind of style if he really wanted to and put his mind to it, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, does anybody have any final thoughts on this? I keep feeling like we need to justify this record because there's a lot of people that probably don't know it. But I mean, when what we've talked about already, it inspired a movie. There was a guy that wrote a book of short stories based on each one of these songs. So really, yeah, and there's I'm like I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds cool. I know, and there's over a hundred covers versions of these songs. So I'm not like, surprised on that. Right. Like you guys said, like when somebody wants to get serious, they're going to try to do what Bruce did. Yeah. You know, which, and, 
And I did want to mention, maybe maybe I'm reading into it because I like these people so much, but for me, this was also a precursor of um, alt-country. Like, to me, I see a direct line between this and the uh, last replacements record or Mm -hmm. the first first Wilco records or, or... Oh well, yeah, I mean kinda, this record in particular, yes. I feel like it feels very country, you know, right, and it's very right. outlaw country, which I mean I think that's some of the best country there is really. Yeah, I and can you mentioned like justifying this record. When I talk about Bruce Springsteen, I feel like I always end up justifying Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. which is weird because right. it's like he doesn't really need to be justified, <laughs> but yeah. I do and, think uh, that people unfairly dismiss him, you know, sometimes because of <laughs> Because of, stuff. It's because of E Street and some of that stuff in the nineties. Well, and, and I guess nobody's it, perfect. No, no, I, no and no, we no. all we all know he gets a bad rap for "Born in the USA" because it's misinterpreted and it's been taken over by right wing patriotic people yeah. when it doesn't really mean that. my favorite things that like Ronald Reagan tried to use that song even though yeah. it's like when you listen to it it's like I don't know how you could think like this is a good song to use in support of a presidential especially Republican candidate it's like what see at that time people weren't into being contrarians as much as they are now like people like to troll mm-hmm. and do shit like that ironic stuff but I bet like Bruce Springsteen has too many principles I really respect that yeah I don't think artists need to necessarily get super political all the time, but to just do things like that, that's not going to be a part of who I am. Like as an artist, like I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let them use that song or whatever, you know, or, or imagery, whatever. And I just think that shows it's like, I mean, as an artist, they have character and I hope that there's still artists like that. It's important. And I think, you know, even like the nobodies in life, he kind of gives them a voice and it's, it's cool. Well, that's good. That's a good note to end on. So, Megan, yeah. thank you for joining us for the whole episode. Oh, this was, I this was great. This was yeah. super fun. I could talk awesome. about Bruce Springsteen for hours, which wow. obviously we we already know because we just kind of did it. So, right. <laughs> but this record in particular. Well, next week we'll be back to our regular format. We'll be covering July of 1982. And Megan, you can get super excited about talking about the Pointer Sisters. And Judas Priest. One of my favorites. How did you know? <laughs> right. And Dexy's Midnight Runners. 
So <sighs> we'll be back to. Uh, I already know that coverage. you guys are going to like Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> I can just feel it. I don't know why. I don't know. That's a good cliffhanger. I guess we'll see. All right, guys. So, um, Henry, you want to give us the, or both of you guys can give us the plugs and get us out of here. Sure. You know, if you like our show, uh, if you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher uh, and Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed. You'll probably be talking to Megan if you do that, or email us at 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at HG. Chris, what's yours? Uh, I don't know. Uh, at TCI Duke. Yeah, that's it. Liar. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I knew your Twitter handle. It's like, if I know your Twitter handle, you better know your goddamn oh. Twitter handle. <laughs> don't put me on the spot. Because I don't even use Twitter. I don't have a personal Twitter. I will say, I don't know if this will make the cut, the pod, but our last podcast blew the fuck up. Did you ever figure out, like, okay, what? Okay, it... Australia. It's men at work fans. It's men at work fans. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, Henry, thanks for mentioning that. I just want to mention to all our Aussie friends, uh, we, in December of 1982, we're covering in excess. Okay. So hold on, just hang in there and we're going to get another Australian band on, on tap. It just keeps going up and up. I don't know. That's crazy. Cause I thought maybe it was like the YouTube thing too, but now like, I mean, it's all you have to do is hashtag men at work and they're on it. (laughs) The top Brisbane, Queensland, Sydney, New South Wales, Melbourne, Victoria, Perth, Western Australia, hello. Listen, Somebody's spreading the fucking word over there. I don't want to speak for the other two, but folks in Australia, if you want us to come, if you want to pay for us to come and do a tour across Australia, I think all three of us would happily go. Right. And right. hit yeah. the road. When we can leave the United States again. Exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. will ever allow us in your country again. <laughs> We've gotten a time out. Megan, Megan, don't don't bother me with details, okay? Yeah, we will come I to know. Australia, whatever we, whatever it takes, I know. if you guys want us. Megan, but, yeah, I would social. like to forget about a lot of things going on right now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so Megan, give us your social media stuff. Sure. So um, my Instagram is at Bastards of Young 92. And then on Facebook, which is becoming just a fucking dumpster fire. So maybe (laughs) don't add me. But it's Megan Therese on Facebook. And then uh, the pod has an Instagram too, um, at 80s374. And then 80s Music Exposed on Facebook as well. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Megan, Chris, guess what? What? What's that? We made you a mixtape. Takes money from my hand while his eyes take a walk all over you. Hands me a ticket, smiles and whispers good luck.